The theme for the evening talk is the quest for security. The motives and intentions for coming into a situation uh, like this one for eight days, of course, might vary quite considerably from one person to uh, another. And possibly for some of you uh, arriving here, there's um, a certain agenda, one might say, that you have been looking at your life in uh, recent times. There are particular areas and issues of concern, of matter to you. And so in coming to be here, one feels and hopes that it will be a suitable environment in which to be, to address and look at areas which are of importance to you and perhaps need some uh, resolution. And the kind of uh, place here certainly has that as one of the reasons for its very existence. There are others who are here and it's nothing particular intense or dramatic which is taking place in one's life but at the present time there's a, an interest there's a, a curiosity in these things and one is here to spend a number of days to see what the experience would be like and if uh, it is useful what ways that might be integrated into the daily life circumstances and there are others who haven't given it a second thought before coming, but are um, regular uh, presences uh, on retreats at IMS uh, or elsewhere and regard these situations as being an important part of their uh, year and opportunity for silence and stillness and meditative awarenesses matter a great deal to a number of you here I know and therefore uh, you come because of those kind of intentions and whatever the intentions might be or the lack uh, of them it may be for some again looking for some significant and dramatic changes in one's uh, life and one sometimes wonders, well, where is the focus and the energy and the determination to come from to make significant changes? That we can be in situations in our life where we think a great deal about making changes, but the thought itself doesn't seem to have the authority to initiate the change. And so perhaps there is another route to making changes other than just thinking about making them. And for uh, others, it's the inner work which is that process of deepening one's awareness, deepening self-knowledge and self-understanding and that shifting and opening of consciousness which I referred briefly to yesterday evening. And all of those motivations and um, many others can be significant, but no matter what the intention or the motivation is for being here, 
it doesn't mean to say, of course, that it has any relevance to what actually takes place here. And it's not at all unusual for a person to arrive in a facility like this and for one to be saying to oneself, well, I really have to look at this area of my life, my work, my relationship, my present, or whatever it might be, and find that in the course of the day-to-day -day circumstances, there is none of that issue occurring. One could arrive here thinking with quite some degree of self-assurance that that's what I'll have to be facing while I'm here, and one spends seven or eight de days here, and there's not a whisper of that going on inwardly. <coughs> and it just reminds us how well of how little we can forecast what comes in for tomorrow or even for later this evening. And for others in coming, one's whole life may be flowing along quite lovely and sweetly and beautifully, one wouldn't change it for the world. One quite anticipates one of those contemplative, deep, meditative retreats. One puts one's backside on the cushion and all hell breaks loose. Totally unplanned, totally unprepared for, and seemingly quite out of uh, the synchronicity of what was occurring before arriving here. And it's again a, a reminder and hopefully it can bring a little humility to, our, to ourselves of believing and thinking that we imagine how things will be, that, that means it how it will be. We're often quite off the wall. And we also have views about continuity and continuity doesn't make allowances for change for uh, the dependent arising of circumstances. So here we are in this uh, situation, brought here by numerous other circumstances, yet it must be said, so much of it inwardly and to a degree outwardly is extraordinarily unknown. One can't have an assurance about how anything will be in terms of the inner experience. For some, the language, the Dharma uh, language, and I just had a reminder of this rather, rather recently, um, you've probably had the same experience in whatever circles that you move in, that one starts to use certain words with an alarming degree of frequency and rather assuming that everybody hears the word knows what one is talking about. And, of course, quite often that isn't the case at all. And the word I've got in mind here is the word Dharma. And having rambled on about it for about an hour in a talk recently, I said, are there any questions or answers, any questions that you might have? And, of course, the first question of one of the early ones, well, what's the Dharma? <laughs> oh, God. And one kind of assumes that people have heard of the Buddhist world or at least read Jack Kerouac's awful book. And, um, but apparently people have successfully avoided both, and congratulations to them. Uh, so in using the word Dharma here, as we'll probably um, use um, over the days with uh, uh, an appalling frequency, 
that um, it has four or five different meanings. And some of us uh, have much love, deep love of uh, the Dharma uh, of life. We are referred to as uh, uh, Dharma teachers, which I would consider the, perhaps the greatest of all life's privileges. And Dharma means teachings which are concerned with liberation, teachings which are concerned with enlightenment, with the discovery of a free life. Teachings, in fact, which are concerned with finding the ultimate security. Teachings which are directly and unshakably concerned with finding the ultimate security. The word Dharma also has, has, um, has its um, meaning um, truth. But in understanding truth in uh, Dharma language, it's it's that understanding in which the seeing of truth makes an insightful and beneficial difference. You know, sometimes uh, we say, well, the religious people, they have the truth, and the scientists like to believe they have the truth, and the philosophers believe they have the truth, and the theologians believe they have the, have the truth, or whatever. And the word truth gets used with great frequency, but in Dharma language, the use of truth is when we are touched by truth, it makes a difference. It alerts us. It brings awareness. It opens the heart. It helps us to see very, very clearly uh, and well. It's heart-opening, eye-opening in that respect. So being in touch with the truth makes a difference. And it makes a meaningful and beneficial and insightful difference to one's existence. And in the truth, or via the truth, we might say, we'll find a security which is not found in the world of self-deception. So Dharma points to enlightenment, which means points to the truth, not in a religious, philosophical, scientific mode, but the, the truth which is freeing, the truth which is liberating in terms of our understanding. And also the Dharma means duty. It means duty in that uh, uh, healthy sense of uh, uh, duty. And that means that we, in seeing things, in seeing the truth of things, in, in exploring the, the truth of things, it touches us in such a way that there comes out of us, quite naturally and quite effortlessly, a kind of response to the world which shows itself in a caring mode, we might say. And one sees and feels it's one's duty, not in a heavy, burdened way, but to be aware of the presence of others in life, to connect with others. And in that dharma or duty, it's one's dharma of one's life, one might say, the, the duty of one's life. One's duty as a parent is to love and care and support one's child. The duty of a dharma teacher is to be a small servant of the dharma, to give the dharma teachings, etc. Your duty while being here is to engage in a serious and focused uh, meditative practice as one's duty to oneself, shall we say. So teachings concerned with liberation and the ultimate security, teachings concerned with the truth of things, the dharma of life, um, dharma as duty, and dharma, everything 
is regarded as a dharma. Everything, material and immaterial, sentient and insentient, it's all dharma. And so the teachings are concerned with the dharma, with the dharma of life. We live, breathe, feel, think, live and die in the dharma. And all things belong to the dharma. All things emerge from it, all things are it. And that sense for, for that, these teachings keep pointing to, pointing to again and again for what? To discover the ultimate enlightenment of life, to discover that which is ultimately secure. And in that, perhaps if I uh, go on a little bit about security or uh, uh, insecurity for um, a moment, <clears throat> that in various ways, when you and I look at our feelings and our thinkings, our ideas and our intentions, and a fair bit of our priorities in life, a fair bit of it seems to relate around security, the feeling and the wish to be secure. And as we know, the commentators, the social commentators, journalists, sociologists, etc., are quite fond of putting periods of time into certain categories. And it might be that the, the 1990s become the, uh, or get the label of the uh, decade of insecurity. And if the previous decade was a, a decade of uh, greed, of course it's still uh, running rampant. <laughs> and uh, so this is an age of greedy insecurity, we might say. <laughs> but anyway, and one of the features, the features of, of this in um, the kind of culture and society that we live in is the tremendous impact that messages of insecurity, external and internal, are generated and producing further and further amounts of insecurity. And if I had um, um, a dollar for every time somebody on a retreat um, mentioned the word anxiety um, uh, uh, to me, I could probably buy IMS, let alone have to come and teach in it. And it's part of the world of insecurity that many people are living in. And that insecurity seems to manifest in a number of ways, you have to look at your own life for the ways that it does. And of course the insecurity in its manifestation connects with issues of life. It connects with that, whatever that is, which is mattering to you, which is of importance to you. And something which we have given perhaps a lot of time, energy, thought, interest, focus, attention to, is such that our self builds up a relationship with something, someone, study, work, um, home, relationship, money, uh, future, retirement, unemployment, or whatever, whatever it might be. So there is the arising of oneself inside, it's formed a relationship with something in life 
it's thought about it, it's responded to it, it's talked about it, it's acted upon it, it's lived in it, in that rela relationship. And then one finds that in the form of that relationship, something begins to change. And either the change is coming externally, the, to use that word as somebody referred to me uh, earlier on today, there is that um, relationship, one is work, working in the corporate world and they mask the truth in different forms of language and a popular one is of course downsizing. What the hell does that mean? Downsizing. And one sees in the same journal and, and magazine in the, in the world, in, the, in the magazines and publications, that the profits of the corporate world, I think in Massachusetts, this article said, have increased by 22% in 1995, and wages of employees have gone up to 0.9%, which leaves one wondering what happened to the other 19%. And then we hear, oh, the people who are employed, those people take the most of the financial resources out of a company. In other words, those of you who are workers are a pain in the neck, really, because you're taking too much money. And if there can be a machine to get rid of you, the company will gladly. And that message goes out in the increasing sophistication of technology and machinery, etc. And it generates a culture, a widespread culture of insecurity. And that insecurity which used to belong so-called to the blue-collar workers who always could be dismissed, now is right across the board. And thus people find, I'm, I don't know whether it's the same uh, here as it is in Britain, no doubt, it is, that there's a growing degree and an atmosphere of insecurity. One can't take things which one could take for granted as having continuity. And one wonders in this climate, in this culture of uh, insecurity where relationships are not secure, where work isn't secure, where the future isn't secure, where health isn't secure, etc. All the impact which is coming from the outside, impacting on the inner life, sometimes in awful ways for some people, and impacting in such a way that it generates more and more insecurity. I was just speaking to a friend of, uh, of um, my family um, two weeks ago and the person is working morning, noon and night. Part of the motive for the working morning, noon and night is because he is afraid that he'll lose his job if he doesn't. And his wife said that he comes home at night and is straight away on the computer, straight away on his papers, and working every hour that God sends because he can't get the work done on time in the office. And then she said, the effect of all of this is that at times he's engaging in incredibly bizarre behavior, and it's beginning to worry her. He'll wake up in the middle of the night, he'll take off all of his clothes, he'll take all the bedding off the bed, he'll open the curtains in the, in the, in the winter, open the uh, windows and run around the house naked. 
that's got to be some message which should be fairly obvious even to any of us who don't know anything about psychology. He's trying to say something. <laughs> and if you can't sense what he's trying to say, well, you, you're in the wrong place. So there's situations which a person can find themselves in and feeling understandably trapped, trapped in paperwork, trapped in the insecurity that if he doesn't keep this momentum up, he'll lose his job, he'll be uh, downgraded, downsized or whatever and younger staff will be brought, brought in. And I don't think that's an uncommon situation in our culture. I don't think that's a rare thing that's going on at all. I think it's all too, all too common. And as I say, sometimes there's the external factors putting unfair, undue pressure on people and in that a whole spectrum of people who are employees and sometimes employ employers feel unusually, accept, un exceptionally and unfairly insecure. And then the impact on that, on friends, on loved ones, on family, on, on children, on the personal relationship to oneself, on the relationship to, to life. And what are we going to do with all of this? Are we going to continue in a habit and a mind which says, well, what can you do? It's hopeless. It's, it's, a, it's a situation which there's no re resolution for. Or is there going to be some new kind of cooperation between people, some new kind of protest which says this insecurity that's going on which is so painful for people's lives, people need to challenge it. Need something to evolve which looks at things differently. It's utterly unfair on people. And so sometimes one is sitting in the quietness of meditation in the, still, in the stillness of, of things, and perhaps the, the relationship arises around work. Relationship arises around those examination, all-important examination results coming up in the near future. Insecurity arises and in the relationship around um, people in your life who are important to you. And it triggers, it sets things going inside and various unpleasant feelings begin to surface. And as one person pointed out in the small group today, sometimes the insecurity, the anxiety begins to run and flow through the body that one can't sit with it. One has got to move because the anxiety level about how things will be or what might happen, the body can't cope with it. And that's not unusual either. So we need to look at what is this insecurity which goes on for us and, and its manifestations. Some kind of awareness with it and not giving it a kind of ultimate reality. I was just speaking again recently with one person. The person isn't employed. He's self-employed. So this person is rather reliant and de dependent on other people saying, yes, we value what we, you do, we value your work, we will employ you. And he gets short-term contracts in his particular profession. 
but he says he finds it doesn't give any peace of mind simply because he gets the work he gets the income from it the bank manager is pleased that, it, it, that there's more blue than red and yet he says no sooner as that happens the insecurity is already arising soon afterwards perhaps I won't get any more work how long will it be before the next contract comes in and what's going to happen to me in the meantime I've got the reality of paying my rent off I've got the reality of feeding my kids etc so it's even when work comes in piecemeal as it might be it doesn't seem to alleviate the insecurity it, because the fear is stronger the anxiety level is stronger than the affirmation and we can get ourselves into such a pattern of this way of thinking and the pursuance of this way of thinking that our lives become anxiety ridden affecting sleep frequent um, pilgrimages to the western pagoda meaning the refrigerator and, <laughs> and numerous other things all trying to overcome to suffocate, to drown out the insecurity and it needs to be addressed and then what happens from that insecurity around particular relationships, work, money or whatever it begins to expand itself even further and then one says one becomes a Buddhist and one says oh, all life is insecure very nice thought doesn't help that insecurity and one says well I'm going life is going on and and I'm getting older and uh, and I'm losing anything every every way my hair is uh, falling out and if it isn't falling out it's going to gray to, to to white or whatever it might be every time one looks in the, in the mirror it's another bad story and all of that and so one starts to philosophize about life and, and this actual, actualizes a little bit more insecurity and so one's world view of existence is seen sometimes almost exclusively in those terms personally, socially, globally and we kind of nourish and feed each other with this kind of information and we'll have the decade of insecurity and then we'll have the millennium of insecu insecurity and we'll have a, a social agreement life is terribly insecure and therefore the, our corporate leaders and our um, government leaders are actually doing us, are providing us a tremendous service they are teaching us that life is insecure and they really are our gurus or something like that and it won't be far off before we get uh, uh, to that point so, so there is manifestations of it and we can keep feeding it and nourishing it and I can sit here and give you a whole litany of examples of insecurity and you can come up with a far more than I ever could come up but it needs addressing it needs to be addressed and the addressing of it is the, the inquiry and the exploration in it to meditate on it and to see how it shows itself and one of the factors of the way that it shows itself again and again 
is the solidification of the view that insecurity is directly related to the object of interest. That it's only about that. I would feel insecure, I would feel secure if I knew I had a lifelong job which was safe. I would feel secure if my, um, if my partner only did everything I asked of him or her. I would feel, feel secure if um, I had various other assurances, etc., etc. Is these ways that manifest in our life of insecurity just specifically connected and related to the event? Is that where, what it's coming from? Is it coming from the object of interest? If so, it's hopeless. If so, it means every time we have a job and we might lose it, then it has to be generate feelings of insecurity. Because that would be the common condition for everybody. If every time a relationship changed, it, and therefore the insecurity is related to the relationship itself, to that person, or that place, or whatever, it would have to produce insecurity for all. But supposing we do introduce a little doubt, and we do ask ourselves, is these ways of insecurity or anxiety connected with the object, or something about the relationship I have with things? I can't stop people firing me. I can't stop people leaving me. I can't stop losing things. I can't stop things changing in this world. I can't stop that. I don't have that kind of control over existence. But even though I don't have that kind of control over existence, does it mean I have to live in insecurity? And Dharma teachings are to point towards that which is ever secure. Cannot be lost by the fluctuation of circumstances. In the inner life that goes on, <coughs> and the uh, waves of experiences that, for some of you, perhaps to, today or at uh, other recent times uh, uh, in, in your life, is that we forget the momentum of habit, of sheer habit. And in the feeling life, in the, emo in the emotional life, there can be movement going on. And it seems like something has an impact on us. It arrives through something we see or something we hear, and it passes through our eyes or through our ears. It may be an observation about something. It may be a piece of information or whatever it is. And it travels through the sense doors, travels into the mind, sometimes traveling deeply into the mind and touches a place inside and there is a wave, there is a disturbance. And we 
can't protect ourselves from that kind of information because the mind itself can produce it. And we know the experience where a memory comes straight out of the mind and the impact of it can be almost explosive on the inner life. Shaking it, worrying it, terrifying it, generating all sorts of movement backwards and forwards. So we, not only we can't protect ourselves from what comes to us from the world around at any particular moment, but equally we can't protect ourselves from ourselves. We can't protect ourselves from our own mind. And so our own mind generates an image, a memory, a thought, an idea, a possibility, produces it, the production power of it has got enough force going along with it, it goes bang straight into the rest of the inner life and shakes out worry, fear, anxiety, terror, dread, problems, etc. No protection. Not outwardly, not, not in inwardly. And this we're constantly having to deal with. And what we find that the very pattern and habit of that is such that a fresh idea comes, a new nuance, a new intimation of possibility, um, um, a significant potential for a leap forward, for a sudden change, totally unrelated to fear and anxiety and, and worry, something bright, innovative, creative, fresh, whatever. And no sooner is it emerging out of us or no sooner is it coming to us from the world around and that the very force of habit immediately comes in and starts to suffocate it. Actually take the creative life out of the creative idea. The pattern is so strong and so frequent it destroys the most beautiful initiatives of life. So it's not only a, a problem with the old and the familiar, the job, the relationship, the money and the future or whatever, but the same movement, as I say, goes on to that which is totally fresh and new for us. And all of that in our life needs, and ad needs addressing. And it needs addressing in such a way that we're a little bit more respectful, we might say, to the bare fact of circumstances. Just seeing the fact as the fact. Job as the job, the unemployment as the unemployment, the future as the future, the present as the present, the relationship as the relationship. Not in a cold, hard and detached way, but finding ways through quietitude and meditative awareness to look in a rather simple, perhaps pure-hearted way at the simple fact of the circumstances. And sometimes that perception of the situation is free of anxiety. That we do know moments when looking at something which matters to us, which is changing or which is or isn't changing, whatever the 
anxiety is about, sometimes it's change or not changing, that there are moments when we do look at that and we can honestly say to ourselves, in this moment of looking at this situation, I'm not worried, I'm not afraid, I'm not fearful, I'm not anxious, I'm um, not in a state of tension and stress over it. I'm just seeing it simply, purely, immediately and directly and in that focused way. And those moments are very precious and important to us because those moments are a key to finding security in life, which this world can't shake off, in which the potency of memory, the future thought, is just a memory, it is just a future thought, and it's not charged with any unpleasantness whatsoever, and that's the potential of a human being who goes deep into herself or into himself. Anxiety and all that goes with it is not a, some kind of God-given circumstance of human existence. It can be eradicated, and wonderfully about it, it can be eradicated extraordinarily quickly. But it needs care of observation. It needs looking at the relationship to that which provokes. And it's not that during the time here that I um, want you to suddenly start thinking up all the things that you get anxious about and say, right, and you walk into the meditation room and you say, right, okay, anxiety, I'm ready for you. <laughs> and viewing it in some, some kind of um, 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 Sylvester Stallone, macho, um, um, I'll conquer you, Bruce Willis style. But because if you say that, the probability is with that force of mind in that moment, you won't have anxiety. Because the willpower in those moments will say, right, and once you say, right, I'm ready for it, come on, uh, I'll take it on, I'll challenge it, I'll defeat it. It, it won't arise because the willpower is too strong. Anxiety is too clever. <laughs> it's not so naive to, to pop its head up into your consciousness when you're ready. <laughs> it, it's much more likely to appear when you're at the end of the food queue in the mornings and, and other circumstances. So it's in situations of unreadiness, of the unexpected, of hardly giving any attention to, hardly being concerned about, it's in those times and periods that the, the wave of anxiety can start to come, come through. And it latches onto something which one has done, which one is doing, or which one will do. It will feed and link and hang onto one of those three, generally speaking. What one has done, what one is doing, or what one will, will do. And we automatically assume, as the definition of anxiety, it's related to the object. And we're saying, can we dispatch the anxiety and let the object be? 
could we look at the object carefully and sensitively when it arises and really look and ask ourselves, is there really anything to be anxious about? Is this particular object that awful? That much to be afraid of? That much to be in worry about? And sometimes we have never looked at the object. What we've got is a charged image. But the issue, the matter, the fact, the actuality, we've not ever got close to. Because if we get close to it in a meditative aware sense, we'll see the tiger's got no teeth. We'll understand what that means. And we're not afraid of anything nor anybody on this earth, nor of our past, nor of our present, nor of our future. Why? Because we have stopped to really look in the moment that the anxiety arises and see the object that it's focused on. And that's a, a dharma practice. It's a, it's, a, it's a practice for liberation from anxiety. And it can be, as I said earlier, that in that perception, in that seeing, sometimes the mythology of worry and anxiety loses its hold. One sees the absurdity of it, the irrelevance of it, the stifling feature of it. just a little movement going on in the deeper levels of the psyche and it's moving a bit backwards and forwards as it latches onto something. Not worth the time of day. Not worth making a fuss about. But our own experience has to see that and confirm that. And then we'll find freedom and a security in this world of dynamic change, in the world of social, corporate, government, personal circumstances, and we have seen right through all of that. And what greater respect can we pay to ourselves than that? To find a security which the world of objects cannot destroy. May all beings live with awareness May all beings see into things. May all beings discover the ultimate security. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
www.ghostbusters.org slash donate.